You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Bugs. It sounds the same every week, and it's really cool. We have theme music, which they allow us to use. Thanks a lot, guys. Mudbugs rule. They do roll. This Good is Poser. Yeah. And also, you know, it kind of fits the vibe of everything. You know, the whole LSU thing. And honestly, LSU hasn't lost a game since, since it has become the Sneaky Good Podcast uh, theme song. So think about that this is all because of the mud bugs <laughs> we're not saying correlation equals causation but we're not not saying that either <laughs> exactly i am poser that is my producer chris how's it going chris it's going all right wow there, there we go and joining us north of the border is seth hello hello and joining us not quite as far north of the border is jake and by the border hello. of course we mean i ten. Because <laughs> everything north of I-10 is Yankee land. Dude, we're north so, of I-10. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, we're we're not, <laughs> we're in Yankee land. I mean, come on, <laughs> Dallas is not the deep south. <laughs> no, it's not Yankee land either. It's uh, Texas is its own unique animal. It really is. No one claims us. It's very sad. You guys just claim yourselves, okay? That's right. We do. No, I mean, like, the rest of Texas doesn't claim Dallas. Oh, really? <laughs> they, they don't like us. It's uh, Look, the rest of Quebec doesn't claim Montreal, so I know exactly <laughs> what you mean. That's, that's weird, because Montreal is, like, a really cool city. Yeah, but we're, we're too, like, metropolitan. For yeah, that. that's true. And, and that's super metropolitan. Yeah. Yes, because, you know, Montreal is an international city. International city, exactly. We had the Olympics. That's right, you did. So did Lake Placid, New York, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's a Winter Olympics. That doesn't count. That's Montreal true. had like the real Olympics. Yeah, and uh, only it was 1976, and only about eight years ago did we finish paying off the uh, Olympic Stadium that they built <laughs> oh, for that. Wow. Yeah, never ever <laughs> did for the Olympics. It's after. The Montreal Expos left for Washington. That's right. They've been paying the damn stadium. That's right. Not one of the best investments that's ever been made. No. Never is. But no, it's a good no, it also was not a good investment was building a new trophy for the LSU Ole Miss rivalry. Because <laughs> if you could sum up the LSU Ole Miss rivalry in one statement, it's that LSU left the <laughs> rivalry trophy on the sideline. <laughs> <laughs> what does it look like? I didn't even see what it. it what's it, a trophy of what? It's there's a magnolia. It's terrible. There's it's a big wooden thing, and there's like a flower on it from the magnolia tree, and it's got everybody's name engraved on it. It's 
it looks like a um, home ec project that has gone awry. <laughs> it needs to be about the, a quarter of the size that it is. Yeah, that's the other thing. It apparently weighs like 300 pounds or something ridiculous. Well, no, no, that's the boot that weighs that much. But it's like, it weighs a lot. <laughs> it, it is an incredibly bulky, stupid-looking trophy. And I hope it stays in Oxford forever so they can just stare at it and know that we're better than them and we don't even care. Now, the boot now the boot is a great trophy. Now, the boot's a terrible trophy as well, but at least it's a the good boot, idea. you literally could, like, decapitate someone with it. <laughs> That's what I was thinking, right? The boot could be a weapon. That's a good... If you can, like, if you can use a trophy as a weapon, that's a great trophy. The, the problem is, is that it requires too many people to swing. Right. It's, not like Paul Bunyan, it's not like Paul Bunyan's axe. It takes, like, four guys to whip it around. Yeah, if you get decapitated by the boot, it's really your own fault. <laughs> <laughs> So, but that leads us into the game itself. LSU beats Ole Miss by 21 points. And LSU fan base, I don't want to say flipped out, but at least was mildly concerned in the aftermath. Once again, proving that Ole Miss doesn't matter. But what were your impressions now that you've had a couple of days to think about the game? Well, the defense sucked. Okay. I mean, I don't know. I, you know, it's funny, I, I noticed there's so much, throughout this whole season, there's been so much excuses made for the defense. And it's like, the, this is not like they're ranked, you know, 120th in any cat in really any category in, in the country. I mean, it's still in the, in your 30s defense. And honestly, that with an offense that's as good as LSU has, it, it, it's, it's been enough. But there's been excuses at every level. Ah, well, they didn't have the players, you know, everyone was injured, and then this happened, and then that happened. Yo, they, they got beat up on Saturday. They got beat up. The scheme didn't do it any favors. No one really excelled. Grant Delpit was absolutely horrific, and they got they just got beat soundly. Yeah, um, does anybody, anybody else really concerned about Grant Delpit? Uh, this is a guy who came to the season as a Butkus Award contender, and he's he's been bad. I, I don't think there's any other way to say it right now. He should not be playing football right now. I mean, that's, no, he shouldn't. Like, he no. just shouldn't be. Like, Coach O was saying, like, if we can get him some, like, rest, we will. And it's like, uh, do it. Just do it. I mean, not even, like, in the sense of, yes, like, it's Ole Miss and Arkansas, so you don't really need him. But also just, like, the dude's really, really hurt, so just rest him. He started the year playing good, but not great which I think was partly because his role had to change and he essentially had to put, like, traffic cop his entire defense. Then they kind of unleashed him a bit more towards the middle of the year against, like, Mississippi State and Florida and Auburn. I thought he played really well. And then, of course, he hurt his ankle or whatever at the end of the Alabama game. And it looked really bad as it happened. And then they were like, he's fine or whatever. And it turned out, no, it was really bad. Yeah, he was bad on Saturday. And it's just... A football player that good is not that bad unless he's something's wrong, and clearly something's wrong. No, he shouldn't. He shouldn't play on Saturday. And if he's still like that banged up against A and M, I wouldn't play him then either. I mean, you honestly, you can make an argument that a guy who's really badly hurt or just hurt a couple months before he's going to enter the NFL draft shouldn't be playing at all for no money whatsoever. But if he's still this hurt. I mean, like, the Alabama game was understandable. It's the biggest game of the year. He wants to play. Okay. Play him. But, yeah, no, he definitely he shouldn't have been playing on Saturday. Yeah. And he shouldn't play this week. So the question becomes with Grant Delpit. If Grant Delpit's hurt and can't play, then you're down 
both your starting safeties. You'd be down both Delpit and Harris. Who plays? I know Jacoby Stevens has stepped up, so there's no problem there. But who is your other safety at that point? Well, I mean, they played, you know, Stevens was playing more like against Ole Miss, at least. Stevens played a lot of like outside linebacker, and they kind of had Flott or Vincent kind of play, you know, you could still call him a nickel. I don't know. It doesn't really matter what you call him, but he was, he was a deep half player with Delpit as the other deep half player. So you'd really only be, you know, you're, you'd want to keep Stevens there for the most part. And then you got to go find whoever, whoever can play deep half on the weak side. And maybe, maybe you move Flot and you put Flot and Vincent there. I don't know. I just know that it can't be Delpit. It's, beyond repair after the Ole Miss game, how bad, badly injured he is. And I think Jake brings up a good point. At the end of the day, it's not even about LSU. It's about Grant Delpit. This is a guy who is going to be a first-round draft pick, needs to be working on getting paid as much as he can for his football skills, and he needs to rest that ankle so he can get paid. And it, yeah, once again, it's one thing to risk things for the Alabama game, biggest game of the season, but there's no reason to jeopardize your future for Arkansas. Or Texas A&M. Yeah, I agree. And that's, I think, what's best for Delpit, not even what's best for LSU. And it might be best for LSU. I mean, like, I'm not saying, like, Cordell Flott's been fine for a freshman. who he's had his ups and downs. But Grant Delpit didn't look like he could. I mean, I didn't see the full game or anything, I kind of just saw, like, this, from what I saw, he didn't look like he could play. No, no, no. I just rewatched it. He didn't look like he could play. (laughs) It's one of the worst games I've seen from a safety, like, ever. Like, this is not not even just, like, oh, it was bad for an All-American. It was bad for any football player that I've seen in a long time. Yeah, like, LSU probably will be better without a extremely hobbled Grant Delpit out there, even if he's still Grant Delpit. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's like you're you probably will be better off because that too. I mean, yes, he's missed tackles this year, and that's happened. But the I mean, the one he missed on the one touchdown, he on the touchdown run, he just wasn't there. Like it was, it was bad. So yeah, it's good for Grant Duffett, and it probably will be good for OC in the long run. Give him off this this week, and yeah, I'd rest him for A and M too, and then hopefully, um, unless it's a, a, a really bad injury, um, he'll be good for the Georgia or in the SEC championship. I mean, he played well against Alabama, so I guess, you know, if you give him enough pain relievers and it's a big game with the adrenaline and everything you can play, but clearly, you know, Ole Miss isn't that. Um, so, yeah, I would give, I would rest him, you know. I mean, he's not practicing, obviously. So then I, I don't think you should play on Saturday. Um, and wouldn't play me against A&M, and that gives you two weeks, hopefully, to get him rested up for... For at least a level he can play against Georgia. Yeah, and then ideally, don't, you don't want to look too far, but if he can play against Georgia and play when else you can win, well, then you can give him you know a month off or whatever before the playoff or something like that. Now, Seth, now outside of Grant Delpit playing terribly, <laughs> since we started off with the defense being bad, do you think the problems are schematic or do you think it's that there was no safety help and we were essentially playing 10 guys and that's why Plumlee was able to rush for 200-plus yards? Or is this, as a lot of the national media was saying, we have discovered a flaw in the LSU defense and other teams will attack it? Well, 
it depends what team. I don't. I think Ohio State with that type of quarterback could attack it the same way that Ole Miss does. Uh, Georgia won't. Clemson won't. Oregon won't. So there are some teams. Obviously, Alabama won't. Though they still they still put up a whole bunch of yards against us. No, no one left on the schedule that like, yeah. the moment will. Like no one's doing that. Arkansas. I don't really know what Arkansas does, but yeah, I don't know. A yeah. and um, M is pro style. Jimbo stuff and Georgia's the same, the same thing. So Aranda likes to play with two safeties, right? Like two, well, two. There's always two safeties on the field, but like two high safeties. And when you play with two high safeties, as opposed to one high and one, you know, as like a kind of pseudo linebacker, where you have less people in the box, so you're already at a numbers disadvantage. And then you add in the fact that a team like Ole Miss is going to use their quarterback in design runs, so that's another minus in the in the box count now lsu does some things where they'll you know based on the direction of the play based on where the back is they they'll find ways to kind of it's like accounting tricks to kind of get the numbers back in their in their favor or at least neutral but sometimes look sometimes you're outnumbered and and people don't get off blocks and and linebackers take bad reads and then there's a hole like it's it, it happens it's gonna happen but what happened in the Ole Miss game was every time there was a hole, Grant Talbot would come down, and he just – it's not even like – you remember the, the, the couple um, missed tackles against Texas? Like he came down, he got to the line of scrimmage, he hit the dude, and then the guy bounced off. And, you know, obviously, like, you know, uh, Duvernay's a good player. Like, you know, he's going to miss tackles sometimes. But in this case, it was like he wasn't even getting near the guy, and the guy was just shaking him. So it's like, yeah, LSU could go to a one-safety defense and, and play with another, you know, in a sense, another linebacker, and, and they'd be better. But, you know, like, those, all those seven-yard gains were turning into 70-yard gains because Delpit wasn't there. And, you know, maybe there was the one play where Christian, Christian Fulton got lost um, when he was kind of playing that safety role, that safety role because of the formation that Ole Miss presented, but for the most part, all these explosive plays, I mean, I counted about seven explosive plays where Delpit had a shot to tackle him within eight yards, and he just missed completely, I, except all the, the last touchdown on the, on the completion. So, like, yeah, it's a bit schematic in the sense that LSU wants to play with a numbers disadvantage in the box, but they've gotten away with it because they have good players, and people tend to get off blocks, and the holes aren't really there. And when they are there, Delphit makes a play, or John Battle makes a play, or Jamal Adams make a play. But if Delphit, you know, it's just, I don't know. I, it, it was half scheme, half personnel with Delphit. This is the one reason I don't think it's scheme. And I know you say you don't like people making excuses for the defense, but I'll make an excuse for the defense, and then I'll let Jake take it. LSU on the season, count even counting the Ole Miss game, has allowed 3.88 yards per rush which is pretty good. It's not great, but it's pretty good. They've only allowed that number, essentially, they've only allowed more than four yards rushing per carry three times. 4.26 against Vandy, 4.39 against Alabama, and they have an elite back, and 9.14 against Ole Miss. This game was such a massive outlier compared to what they've done this year. LSU has allowed 10 rushing touchdowns this season, four of them against Ole Miss. They've allowed 
just over 1,300 yards rushing on the season, 402 of them against Ole Miss. Essentially a third of the yards that LSU has allowed rushing this season were this weekend. So that's the one reason I don't think it's schematic, and I do think it was the personnel thing. I hate to pin the whole game on Grant Delpit, but I think this is what happens when you play with 10 guys. That's exactly what happened. And then I'll let Jake have the last word on that. Yeah, I mean, that's... I mean, some of it schematic, I guess, in the sense of what Ole Miss does. A, they got Rich Rodded. That was like what Rich Rodriguez would do to people with Pat White and Steve Slayton in West Virginia. That is a, a, a coach who runs that scheme extremely well. And LSU hadn't seen basically I mean, anything like that all year long. I mean, it was essentially like a form of the wing tee, the way they were running it. Plumley would sometimes not even fake it to anyone. He'd just run it himself. So that's that. That doesn't mean that hey, you give up 400 yards of offense, you still have to, or 400 you know rushing yards, you still have to prepare for it to some degree. But I think that in some ways does explain it away a bit. And yeah, they were playing with 10 guys on 10 guys on defense. Yeah, they'd given up 906 rushing yards coming into this game. On I think they have 337 rushing attempts against an Ole Miss rushed it 44 times. So you take that away. It's, they were giving up three yards. They were giving up three yards of carry coming into this game, which would have been like 13th in the country. And they dropped all the way to 48th because they gave up 10 yards per carry or whatever you know, it was. So that kind of gives you an idea of where like LSU, if their LSU defense wasn't leading one thing this year, it was run defense. And, and they, they faced some different offensive schemes. It wasn't like they faced all of the one. They've stopped varying offensive schemes and this one they got gashed horribly so yeah i you know no one else is going to run this kind of scheme if they played oklahoma in the semifinal oklahoma would run something like not not in the same way but the way oklahoma runs the ball uh, especially with jalen hurts they'd run something like that i don't know if lc's going to see oklahoma but they would run something like that in ohio state possibly maybe well. utah i mean hunley runs a lot it's a little bit different but he's yeah. a He's a good runner. Yeah, that's, he's, he's not yeah, a great runner, um, but he, he's he's opportunistic. He, he's kind of like the middle ground between Plumlee and Burrow. I don't know if it's the QB run that kills him as much as kind of like the way it's used. But yeah, yeah. Like Utah, Utah might. But then, I mean, you'd hope that, A, you'd have a more healthier Grant Delpit, who is such a key cog in this defense. And you'd you know expect that Dave Randall, with a month to prepare, would find either a scheme or whatever LSU did wrong and fix it before a semifinal against whoever they would, you know, if it was Oklahoma or, I mean, Ohio State would be a bit different because they have maybe like two weeks, but still, that's more than you normally have the game plan against in a, you know, in the normal 12-game season. So, was it bad? Yes. There's no point in acting like, actually, the LSU defense played well on Saturday, because no, they played horribly. But... You know, it's the whole thing. I mean, the, the Oklahoma comparison to last year is still just, it kills me. Because it's like, I, I feel like people are just, like, not using their brains. Like, LSU is a, before the Alabama game, LSU was into the top 20 of uh, S&P+. Plus. I think they were, like, 19th. Now I think they're 29th. LSU is still a top 30-ish defense in the country. That's not great. That's not what any of us expected LSU to be at this year. But that's still fine or good, and it's certainly good enough with this offense. It's not like 
Like, there have been offenses that won the national championship, that have, or defenses, rather, that have, like, won the national championship, that have been as the same level of kind of, like, ranking. It's not like LSU is carrying, like, the worst defense anyone has had into the potential college football playoff. Like, Oklahoma was outside the top 100 in defensive categories last year. This is not the same thing. And so, like, that's the thing that's just, like, kind of killing me. Like, I get it. Dave Miranda makes $2.5 million, and when your defensive coordinator makes $2.5 million, you want them to be top 10 every year. I, I get it. LSU has a bunch of talent on this defense that can play in the NFL, and therefore you want it to be a top 10 defense. Completely agree. It has not been as good as anyone wanted. But this was a top 20 defense before the Alabama game, and, hey, they held Alabama to their lowest point total of the season with Tua Tango Vailoa in the game against Alabama. They Alabama to 34 points in Tuscaloosa. And they forced like eight punts and like three or four third three and outs. That's a really good game against Alabama. They LSU, LSU was able to win the Alabama game because their defense dominated Alabama for the first half of the game. Yeah, and so, honestly, that's kind of what happened against Ole Miss. LSU dominated Ole Miss for the first half. It was thirty-one to three. I think people do forget that. <laughs> I mean, this game, it was a twenty-eight point lead before you could blink, and. There was an element of, oh, this game's over. And yeah. even with the defense playing like garbage in the second half, which I'm not going to make excuses for the second half defense, LSU still won by 21 points. So they only gave up seven points of a 28-point lead. So how big of a problem was it? Yeah, like this game never got to within – like what was the, this game got to within one, a score once, and then LSU went down the field and – Score yeah, and, and like, in the so second like, half, the closest Ole Miss got is that they, they were down 14 and they had the ball in LSU territory. Yeah, it got it was yeah they actually never got to yeah because LSU kicked the field goal after the first Plumlee touchdown run of the half. So yeah, yeah like it almost never got within two scores during this entire game. I mean, it's like you know, I mean, I get that like part of the fun the fun of college football is like overreacting to like potential upsets and be like, oh my god, Ole Miss is only down 14 points, but it's. The way it happened and afterwards, this idea that LSU was at some point like in threat of losing this game is like so weird. Like, no, that was never going to happen. And I think yeah. what it was is there was that weird moment where Burrow actually threw two interceptions consecutively yeah. and that kept Ole Miss in it. But I don't want to be negative about the offense. And let's talk about how awesome, awesome the offense is. Burrow. Threw for 489 yards. Didn't quite get to Rohan Davies' record, but knocking on the door. Jefferson and Chase both became 1,000-yard receivers on the season. And Jamar Chase had eight catches for 227 yards, which is absurd. Those are Josh Reed numbers. And Clyde edwards Lair rushed for 172 yards. So things are pretty awesome on that front, huh? Yeah, they're good. <laughs> they're just really, really good. There's, there's like no defense. You know, it's funny. Like, you know, they talked about it at the beginning of the game on the broadcast. I guess you know they talked to Mike Mac uh, uh, McDonough and Blackledge talked to Mike McIntyre, the DC for Ole Miss, and was like, oh well, we're we're not we're we're gonna wait and we're gonna show them the same look every time, and then once the ball is snapped, we're gonna spin down and do this and do that, and it didn't matter. It didn't matter one bit what they did. And it hasn't mattered any team what they've done to LSU. They just kill everybody. They do. Like it. I mean, it's it's just every like every every week. You know, it's I guess there's like, oh well, you know, this team might stop LSU. I'm like, Ole Miss is not a bad defense. Like it's not a 
I'm not saying it's like a, the best defense I was able to play all year, but it's a. I think they were like mid fifties in like some of the defensive categories. Like it's it's not a it's a perfectly fine defense. And also you just obliterated them. No one has stopped this offense all year. No one's done it. And like, like throughout the year, it's like, oh well, eventually someone will stop them. It's like, like the one game where they almost got stopped, they still had like five hundred something yards of offense and seven <laughs> scoring opportunities. That yeah, was that was the, the worst. That was their worst game of the year. They still could have scored like 30-something points. And it's also like the the big negative of the game still was the offensive line allowed three sacks. And that's with both tackles starting tackles on the bench. And honestly, that's the reason why at least one of the interceptions happened. So Yeah, I mean, Burrow's, Burrow, you know, we saw it in the Vanderbilt game and we've seen it a couple times. He's just throw the ball out of bounds. He's like standing on the sideline, just throw it out of bounds. Yeah, yeah. It's just screwing up his own stats. Like, I just don't like seeing that extra one in the... But you see why he thinks he can do it, because he's done it Oh, 100%. I mean, like, it's... the biggest heat check of all time. Like, it's... I mean, look, the dude threw two picks and had a passer rating of 204. Yeah, Yeah, how's that possible? (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, it's it's funny, you you know, that play is interesting, because I've had this discussion as a quarterback coach so many times because we can't tell these guys, oh, be a playmaker, be a playmaker, be a playmaker, and then get mad when they try and be a playmaker. So, like, I get it. I totally understand it. He's done it so many times when he rolls out and makes a play that, you know, once in a while this is going to happen, I guess. He's still thrown six picks on the year, and, like, two of them have been tipped or whatever, so. Yeah, and he, he was scrambled a bit, and I think part of it was that, yeah, he had a backup tackle, and they're protecting them. And the only thing I would complain about, and I don't really want to complain about it, is, hey, just know the game situation. He didn't need to force that pass. You're up 21 points in the second half. Maybe be a little bit conservative there. But even then, no, don't be conservative. That's not what how Joe Burrow got here. Like, Burrow. Once I've said that, no, I want Joe Burrow going all the way. I want pedal to the floor until the game is over. If he's in the game, he is throwing touchdown passes. That's what I want out of him. It's the best passing season in college football history. Yeah, it's not I even I don't even think it's close. Like I know we it don't is. have numbers like like we're getting for this year, but like, oh well when he throws down the field and and uh, and like turnover worthy plays and blah blah blah. But like I, I can't believe there's ever been a better performance. I mean like it, you have like it, it's impossible to adjust for era and like he plays the most pass happy era of college football. So is it better than some like other ones from past years? It's hard to tell. Like it's it's hard to like truly compare. Like I don't, you know, like I don't like is like is this better than Danny Werfel posting a one seventy eight pass rating in nineteen ninety five in the SEC? You know, like that's that stuff's hard to truly know. Or, but it is that kind of thing because that's when the fun and gun changed the game. So it's yeah. on that level, at least. It, it's it, it's a paradigm shift. And I know people say, oh, this is just because LSU hasn't had a quarterback. No, no one's had a no. quarterback like this. <laughs> no, like, he's he has right now the third highest single-season pass efficiency rating of all time. The two guys ahead of him are two guys from this year, Jalen Hurts and Tua Tango-Vailoa. Their numbers are inflated by screens and yards after the catch or whatever, to a level that his are not. He has the highest completion percentage in the history of college football. 
and he's throwing most of his passes down the field. Like the only the guy who's second is Colt McCoy. Colt McCoy was a phenomenal college quarterback. Colt McCoy threw a lot of screens. He's got everybody throws screens. Like yeah, except I'm, I'm, Joe Burrow. He except doesn't throw offense. screens. Like I think and honestly, he could throw screens because he's got Clyde Edwards Hilaire, who'd be yeah. really good at receiving them. <laughs> like throw more screens, dude. <laughs> they threw more screens, I think, on Saturday than they had thrown all year. I mean, they threw like like five or six of them. They had like one of the touchdowns, one on Jefferson, like on the flanker screen or whatever. They haven't, like, done, haven't done that like all year. I mean, he's got the fourth highest adjusted yards per attempt, I think, in the country. I mean, I don't know, like, you'd have to kind of look up. Anyway, all his single season numbers are exceeding. Like, his adjusted yards per attempt is eighth all time. It's behind Hurts, Tua, and Tyler Huntley of Utah this year. Again, Hurts and Tua lumbers are more on screens. Tyler Huntley has not thrown the ball nearly as much as Joe Burrow has this year. I think he's only got like 200. He only got 209 attempts. Joe Burrow is well over 300. He's got 38 touchdowns. He's going to hit, I don't know, he might have 50 touchdowns by the SEC championship game. I don't want to get ahead of ourselves, but he's got, he's got 38. He's if you're 38, hit, he's got three, two, three games to go, basically. He's, he's going to hit four against Arkansas. Hopefully 10 against A&M. So he's at 50 right there. There you go. <laughs> God, you go. <laughs> um, <laughs> the, record, yeah, the record is the, – the Power 5 record for touchdown passes is 52 by B.J. Simons of Texas Tech. Uh, if, if he averages like, four touchdown passes a game, I mean, he'll be at 50. And that's yeah, not – at 50 and then go into the – I'll say it. By the playoff, he's going to have – by like a semifinal, or even if all goes wrong, a bowl game or whatever, I'm almost certain he's going to finish with over 50 touchdown passes. And then he's going to be in the top five all time. If you project, say he gets four each game, he gets four, he could be at 54 going into a national championship, which is, even with playing more games, is still ridiculous. Well, because um, it's also without, with so much less passes. You know, even though I guess uh, B.J. Simmons, I, I don't have the numbers in front of me. I'm guessing 11 or 12 games. But uh, he'll still 13, those 11 or 13 tw- games and 719 passes. Exactly. So, like, even <laughs> 13 games, 719 passes. Joe Burrow's not even come close to that. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, and if like, you look here's, at the- here's the guys he's close to right now. Like, he's one away from Danny Werfel in 1996 and Drew Brees in 1998. He's two away from Jason White when Jason White won the Heisman. Two away from Jameis Winston when Jameis Winston won the Heisman. He will this week match Kyler Murray from last year when he won the Heisman. And Marcus Mariota when he won the Heisman. These are some of the greatest quarterback seasons in college football history. And he's going to pass their marks this year. I mean, or like this week. As far as like SEC records, he's going to obliterate almost all of them. Because two is obviously done for the year so. He won't have any, you know, kind of competition in that regard. I mean, it's like to give you an idea of how good this season is for Joe Burrow, how like what this season has done. He has the ninth best NCAA passer rating of all time for his career, basically because of what he's done this year. Yeah, like last year wasn't that great. (laughs) I mean, it was good, but it wasn't. Yeah, like it was one, like it was one thirty three last year, and now because he's at two hundred two point seven. His career passing rate career is, passing rate is 165.4. <laughs> that's, that's absurd. 
Yeah, he's averaging – he has 38 touchdowns in 10 games. So he's averaging just shy of four touchdowns a game. And that's including he only had one against Auburn. That was the one defense that really slowed him down. Everybody else, he's he's putting up four. So if you if you have Auburn's defense, you can keep Burrow in check. Other than that, he's going to throw four touchdowns on you probably. Maybe three if you've got a really good defense. If you have I Florida feel, or Bama. I, I just don't get how you complete 79% of your passes when you're always throwing the ball down the field. How is that – how do you do it? It doesn't make rational sense. Well, part of it is also let's give some credit to those receivers. Yes. I mean, like, yeah. Like he, I mean, Chase is amazing. <laughs> Jefferson has been great. Those guys aren't dropping balls. At the same time, I was watching the Baylor-Oklahoma game. The Baylor receivers dropped some pretty critical passes to allow for the Oklahoma comeback. And after you've just watched an LSU game, it is infuriating to watch a receiver drop a pass like that. Because that just doesn't happen in LSU games right now. And the O-line's giving him the time to throw those passes. Seth, was it you who brought up on Twitter like that they catch the ball with their hands? Like, yeah, isn't that wild? They never. Like, you never, you guys seen this too, right? Yeah, like they. I was thinking about when you mentioned it. It's like they never catch the ball with their body. It's like I know in like I played like youth football for like two years, and they always told you always catch the ball, you know, with your hands or whatever, not your, your body. So like I know this is like a thing they tell players like from the time they're six, but it's like it's crazy. Like they never they catch the ball with their hands every time. I I've never seen it. Like, I mean, they're catching, you know, like the, the first uh, chase touchdown where it's, it's over his shoulder. Like, obviously, he's, he has no defender kind of harassing him, but it's over his shoulder. Usually, you just let it kind of come into the, into the basket, and he just goes and snags it. Like, they're just all that work. And, you know, we heard about it the whole offseason. They put in that, you know, those 10,000 hours, and they wore, you know, sunglasses at night to practice or whatever the hell they did. But it, it just seems like it, all that stuff worked, and, and you – when you see it on the field, uh, it's beautiful. I just wanted to say something. We were talking about records. Sorry, I just <laughs> I just wanted to put up my record that I hope he gets. Since, you know, he's going to get them all. Total offensive yards in LSU history. He's really not that far from Tommy Hodson. And that's, that's incredible. How is that possible? Tommy Hodson, 89-38. Joe Burrow, 71-95. Like, that's wow. really not hard. That's 1,800 yards? Yeah. And if he plays three games, plus if he can get two in the playoffs, that's five games. Man, 1,800 yards in five games, that's really Very doable. Good. I mean, that's, that's off the top three, of my head. That's 360. That's, yeah, yeah, that's averaging 360. If you add the passing and rushing together, yeah, he could – man, he could do that. Oh, my God. He's also going to – he also almost – 100% will break the total touchdowns record. He's only uh, seven away from that. I guess, to like, I mean, like, because we talked about Burroughs, like, records. Um, I mean, to talk about the receivers, I mean, Jamar Chase has mm. two of the top five single-season yard or single-game yards uh, for receivers for LSU this season, 227 and 229. The three ahead of them are Josh Reed's. Still, I mean, I know records may be broken. I'm not sure anyone's ever having more receiving yards than Josh Reed having 293 against Alabama. Still one of the most entertaining games of all time. I mean, and then Todd, Todd Kinchin at 248 against Mississippi State in 1991. And Josh Reed again at 239 in the Sugar Bowl against Illinois in 2001. But look, Jamar Chase is already sixth all-time in receiving yards in a single season. 
for LSU. He is going to pass Jarvis Landry for third this week. He is going to pass Wendell Davis for second by the end of the regular season. He's only about oh, hurt me. 28 away. And to, to look at it, the difference between Josh Reed in 2001 and Jamar Chase in right now is 624 yards. So Chase will need to average 156 in like four games. Um, we figure out he's got four four games left for sure. He need to average a 156, and he's averaging 124 right now. But you need a bit more, but he could come close. That is doable. It's, it's, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, not, it's not impossible that he could do it. It's and the then, same with Jefferson. Yeah, with Jefferson, the Jefferson's not that far. He's at 1,110. So. And also, Jamar Chase didn't play against Northwestern State. So he's actually only played right. nine games. Yeah, and yeah. against Georgia Southern, he had 21 yards. Against Utah State, he had 54 yards. So basically, against the traffic cones of the C- of the schedule, he didn't pad his numbers. He only had uh, 75 receiving yards against the three weak sisters on the schedule. I, you know what? Like this season has been. I, I don't think I'm just speaking for myself here. This season has been absolutely magical. One of my, like, I spend, even though the the numbers don't move from, you know, Sunday to Friday night, I spend more time than I should on, you know, LSU football records, you know, college football stats. I just, I can't believe this. And like, like, I, like, you know, it's nothing going to change when I check it, you know, Tuesday afternoon and Wednesday morning and then Thursday afternoon again. But like, I'm like, okay, well. Jefferson needs 23 catches to pass Josh Reed. If he does, you know, if he catches a slant here in the first quarter, then he catches a fade. Like, <laughs> like I'm going, I'm going crazy with this, but it's so fun. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. What to say. The team's awesome. Jamar Chase is. If he could finish, you know, like he'll probably finish this year with like 1,900 something receiving yards. He's probably going to break the all-time LSU receiving yard record because the record is 3,000 for Josh Reed he's at 114 29 right now he's gonna you know do probably a couple hundred more like this year and then you figure I don't think he's gonna do it to the same level next year because you want to have Joe Burrow throwing it to him but even still I gotta figure he's gonna hit a thousand next year yeah if he hits a thousand yards next year he'll he'll top the record I mean he's gonna finish with what he's got 16 touchdowns receiving uh, that's just outside the top 10. The record is Dwayne Bow for 26. I mean, Justin Jefferson might break that, to be honest with you. <laughs> like, I wouldn't rule that. Justin Jefferson's nine away from tying it. Like, give this team, what? I mean, five more games. <laughs> it's not out of the question, I suppose. But, yeah, I mean, it's, it's nuts to see. I mean, Clyde's going to rush for 1,000 yards. Like, that's even... That's going to happen. I mean, that's definitely, he's at 958. I mean, so, like, every one of these guys is going to put up monster all time numbers, you know, for, I mean, like, single season, like, Clyde will will crack the top 10 single season rushing at LSU. That's crazy. He he might even, you know, he might even be the top five just because of the extra bowl games and, and stuff. Yeah, like, yeah, top fifth is Kevin Falk at 1,282. Clyde's. Within 300 of that, and he's getting 100 a game like every week now. And honestly, this will be our, the extent of our Arkansas preview. <laughs> the, 
the Arkansas game is the pad the number game. I mean, Arkansas is a bad football team. Okay, but what scares me about that is I don't know if we're going to get the same game where Burrow – I mean, look. In yeah, he's not going to throw for 500 yeah. because he's going to be on the bench because you he had to throw for 500 against Ole Miss because they needed exactly. nerves. Um, but he still, in the first half, he threw for like two ninety something. So it's not like he didn't. It's not like he only threw for a hundred. Like he'll still yeah. throw for like two fifty at least against Arkansas. And also, I do think they need to have a little bit of a statement game because Ohio State's been just beating the brakes off of people. So yeah, I, I, I think uh, LSU. Well, I, mean, I, think, well, I think I think here's the in the perfect world. The plan is ideally take him out after a half against Arkansas, and then I know. It's, you know, our dream. But part of me thinks the team thinks this as well. A&M is the, if we're up 30 in the th- fourth quarter, the starters ain't coming out game. Like, yeah, I'm, no, that's, I, that's I think a- part, A&M is, a- is Like, that's, like, I, oh, I mean, I know we won it all, obviously, but I, I still think the staff wants it too. That, I think the players you know, are just as mad as the fans are. Yeah, yeah, I think that, yeah. And so, I don't, if they're up 20-21-something against A&M, or if they get up 28, I don't think, I mean, Joe Burrow never wants to come out of the game, but I definitely don't think they'll be wanting to come out of that game. Yeah, because it wasn't just that A&M won that game in just absurd fashion last year. It's the fact that they dined out on that win all offseason. Oh, yeah. And talked about how great they were because they won a seven-overtime game on yeah, the basis of, like, four miracle like, calls. And, like it was an SEC championship. I yeah, mean, and they got lucky to win, and, hey, the win counts, so scoreboard, but – now you got to come to our place, and you ran your mouth, and there is a cost to that. And I think the players, if anything, I think the players might be more upset than the fans. They they, yeah. they had to hear a lot about that game. And Joe Burrow, he is not. I mean, there is an added there's an attitude to Joe Burrow. I mean, like he does not forget stuff. Like I mean, you look, you think like the, I mean the way he like talked about the fact Nebraska didn't offer him. You saw in like that one interview he did. Like, I mean, he, he put a smile on everything, but you would tell it just peed him off so much. You know, I mean, he's a guy who does not forget stuff. And um, I mean, I, I think the whole team, you know, won't either. But Joe definitely is is not a guy who like. I mean, he's 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 got that chip on his shoulder. Like, I think he he toes the line like just kind of on the right side of it being like likable and not too obnoxious. Like, but it definitely like exists that he carries a chip on his shoulder a lot. And so I imagine he will want to put up, you know, 500 yards and five touchdowns on a Also, so do our defensive backs who didn't get the play against Texas A&M. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I'm really looking forward to that game. But first we got to beat Arkansas. I-, I hate to just count a game as a win, but I'm counting this one as a win. This is, they're a bad team, and they're in turmoil, and I think Arkansas is just playing out the string. Anyone really disagree with that? Nope. No, and with that, Arkansas is the worst SEC team I've ever seen. Yeah, it's bad. It's, it's, bad. it's and and it, and it shouldn't be. Uh, some of that's like it should not be that bad. Like this is not a this is not a roster that got hammered by the NCAA. This is not a like Vandy or kind of you know terrible back Kentucky where like the talent isn't there. I'm not saying like they're like wasting like elite talent, but Arkansas had like a top 25 recruiting class last year. This is not a terribly porous, you know, completely broken like roster. It should not be this bad, but it is this bad 
And I mean, they got beat by Western Kentucky by 26 and were never in that game. It is the worst. An SEC West team has never gone 0-8 in consecutive seasons, and Arkansas is going to do it. And with that, questions. <laughs> can I can I can I read you guys a weird? I'm just looking at LSU um, the record books. A weird statistical oddity. I love um, statistical oddities. I mean, it's not that weird, but okay, I didn't realize this. So LeBrandon Tofield's 2001 season, he finished with 992 rushing yards. Yes. Which is not in the top 10. I don't have the full single season rushing list, but the number 10 is Charles Alexander, 1978 at 1172. So he's where he was far Heisman, Heisman finalist, last offensive player to be a Heisman finalist. So, so, you know, it's a good season. You know, he averaged 4.3 yards per carry, uh, Tofield, 992 yards. He is second in touchdowns that it, overall at LSU that year with 19. Yeah, he was he was a, he was he was a touchdown uh, gobbler. I because yeah, didn't they have uh, two backs that year? Yeah. Oh my God, who was the name of the other guy? Was it Dominic Davis? Was was he it was with Dominic Davis? Davis? And Davis was a pun returner too, I think. Yeah, Davis and Tofield were, and Tofield got all the short yardage carries, so yeah. he he vultured a lot of touchdowns. Well, I mean, yeah, he's like, also I mean, really really good. Uh, like, if, it's not, if you go back and watch some of those highlights or whatever, you'll see like every time they get inside the ten yard line, they're just handing it off to him. <laughs> Like, but he was really good. Like, nothing against it. But, like, it's like, yeah, like, they were just, they really, <laughs> they handed the ball off the ball inside the 10-yard line. Like, he was an ultimate touchdown vulture. Okay, are we ready for questions? All right, hit me. All right, I'm going to lead off with a really important one from our friend Brad Falk. He wants to know, does the horse in Seth's profile pick have dreadlocks? Oh. It absolutely looks to be the case. <laughs> uh, it does, yeah, I... It's um, it's a religious choice. <laughs> <laughs> I I only ride uh, Rastafarian uh, <laughs> <laughs> Brent also wants to know how much money would an Edo Bobby Abear Mike Tillier podcast make just sticking to their high school slash college stories. Well, as we know, there's nothing but money in podcasting. So, uh, <laughs> so you know, like 50, 60 bucks. But yeah. <laughs> but it'd be awesome. Jacob Hibbard wants to know, how do we like our chances versus Clemson and Ohio State? I think I would really like to not finish second in the uh, CFP uh, top four. Yeah. I think finishing first... Is I mean, I, I don't think Oregon or Utah or Oklahoma or whoever it could be or Penn State or whatever, I don't know, are bad teams. I just think I truly, truly would not want to see Clemson in a semifinal. Yeah, you don't want to play Clemson and Ohio State. You know what I mean? Like, it, it's one yeah. thing to play one of them, but the idea of playing both of them, that two seed is going to be – and let's face it, Clemson's not going to be the one seed. So it's going to come down between LSU and Ohio State. Yeah, it's – Style points are important. You you want to be that one seed so you can avoid Clemson and or you know, not have to play them both. I like how we match up against everybody. Ohio State worries me a bit more just because they're they're loaded. They run the ball really well. They also have the quarterback runs, which has really hurt LSU this season. I think if you look at all the teams in the country, 
Ohio State's probably the one that scares me the most, but they're awesome. And I think Ohio State fans are probably worried about LSU. Yeah, I mean, Ohio State is – I mean, you're, like, waiting for it. I'm not, not saying, like, too – like, they look like one of the best college football teams of all time. You look at some of, like, their advanced numbers in terms of – like, I looked it up the other night. They have the third best SMT Plus since that started in 2005. They're so far ahead in some of – they're very far ahead in Sagarin as well in some of the computer rankings. I mean, they haven't played a game this year within – 24 points i mean it's it's looking like they're not just like a a great team but like a all-time kind of great team and it's I mean, you're kind of like waiting to see like is that really are they really that good because you know that stuff doesn't come around you know often i mean like you don't see those kinds of teams that often and i mean i think well everyone thought they would be great this year i don't know if everyone anyone thought i mean they started the year rank number five so like i don't know anyone thought it was going to be that kind of good. So, I, I mean, and look, we'll find out. They play Penn State this week, and then they play Michigan, I mean, which they'll win because it's Michigan, but still. And then they play probably Minnesota in the Big Ten Championship. So, like, we'll see if, you know, they're this good. But, yeah, I mean, they look, like, frightenly good. Like, I mean, it's, it's unearned. No. It's unearned. But, I mean, the, the me, difference is, and I think this is something that advanced metrics have a problem dealing with, is that they have played a pretty – they have not played any elite competition – they well, have I'm, they have blown the doors off of some very bad teams. I mean, their last two games were Maryland and Rutgers. Yeah, they beat Wisconsin. They beat them pretty badly. And Wisconsin's a good team, but before that, they beat Northwestern. Northwestern's pretty terrible. They beat they beat Sparty, but Sparty can't play offense, and that was their closest game. Nebraska's bad. Advanced metrics incent absolutely beating the doors off of yeah. bad teams, and I think it kind of overrates bullies in a sense. But that said, you have to be good in order to blow out a team. So I don't think they're quite as good as their numbers, but they're still very, very good. Does that, I mean, that makes sense? The thing with them is I think that's – is like they're just so much more talented than everyone they play. And that's part of that is – part of that's who they play. And also it's part of it's that it's just – they're just more – they're so much more – talented than everyone in the Big Ten because they are the one program in college football, I guess along with Georgia, that actually can k- compete with Alabama in like every kind of conceivable area. Like that's the thing. Yeah, they recruit nationally. There's only a couple of programs that truly recruit on that level. And honestly, Michigan, Penn State, they kind of are they near that level. It's, it's so I'm interested to see how they put I think they're going to win those games. I think Ohio State is awesome, but I don't think they're going to win those games if you looked at the advanced numbers, you would think they're going to win by 20 points, and I don't think that's going to happen. I, mean, I don't know. It's I mean, Penn State doesn't have a good quarterback, and Ohio that's State, true. Penn State, uh, Penn State, Ohio, State's, Ohio State's got some. Ohio State, I read them. They might have three DBs that go in the top 40 of the draft, which is nuts. Well, no, I mean that's the thing. Like I, I'm not like look I, against as far as LSU goes with that with Joe Burrow and that offense, I will take I will take our chances against anybody. If, if we got number nine out there, I will take our chances against anybody in the country. I'm not, like, quivering in fear of, like, Ohio State. Like, with that guy, I think we can beat him because I think that they can put up points against anybody. And I will, you know, I think they can. I mean, look, they went into Tuscaloosa. Alabama hadn't lost there in four years or whatever it may have been. And I know part of the narrative now is trying to, like, re-alter it to where, oh, actually, Alabama's terrible on defense, so that LSU win isn't actually that great or blah, blah, blah. Like, no. They went into Alabama and won, and they scored 46 points. So, like, yeah, like, I'll take our chances against anyone. But as far as, like, a team like Ohio State goes, I mean, it's – that is a 
ridiculously talented roster that looks like they have an actually really good coaching staff again that is making use of that talent um, in a way that they hadn't in the last, you know, kind of couple of years. I mean, and yeah, but Clemson, also the best quarterback they faced all season is Peyton Ramsey. Well, th- that's where I am thinking, because even like this week, you know, Sean Clifford kind of has balls. Sorry, oh, I'm going to have to say that. He's bad. <laughs> yeah, he's bad. And then Shea Patterson, you kind of don't know what you're going to get out of him, which is another way of saying he's bad. So, so you have Tanner Morgan when they face him against Minnesota. That'll be the best quarter. And then Tanner Morgan's good, but he's not like, oh my god, I can't believe you're going to have to face Tanner Morgan. He's really, I mean, he's he's really really good. I mean, look, I'm not saying he's Joe Burrow or whatever. I mean, he'll. I mean, against Penn State, against Penn State, he was 18 to 20 for 339 yards. Yeah, that's a really darn good quarterback. I mean, the problem is, look. Ohio State is just so much more talented than Minnesota. It's not comparable. That's the thing with with, with them, with Alabama, and I guess is getting closer to with kind of with Georgia to some degree. The talent that they, I mean, they're just mass recruiting and producing talent at a level that is like Penn State is recruits really great. Like Penn State is a top 10 ish, you know, kind of recruiting sort of team. But the difference in talent between Ohio State and Penn State. It's like the difference between LSU and some teams in like 15th or 16th, including like Miami or something. Like it, it's not fair, kind of the level at which they're recruiting. I mean, that's kind of the, dif- the difficulty with figuring it out. Now, that's not to say that like they're going to be Penn State by 40 points, but still that it's like, I mean, that's like LSU does not recruit on that kind of level. Now, that's not, that's not to say LSU cannot win, but it's, you know, if you were looking at, where might like a difference lie? LSU does not recruit on that kind of level. The good news is they're getting there. Like it's it's happening. The LSU is getting to that kind of level of recruiting. That kind of Alabama, Ohio State, Georgia kind of sort of tier of recruiting is it, it's a different level even to like kind of LSU's like the one and Clemson's are like the one team that's kind of like close to that. Like in terms of like just pure talent level. Like LSU's kinda close. And they're like one of the only teams that is kinda close to that level. So in summary, Ohio State's good. Worry about them. <laughs> All right, we kind of talked about Grant Delpit, so that pretty much answered Max Toscano's question. So we're going to go right to Mr. Alec Beignet's Twitter handle, Richard Pittman, who wants to know, how should we approach older media that was mainstream at the time it was made but is now seen as having inappropriate content, such as you know being racist or sexist? And an example he gives is old Johnny Quest. Yeah, I don't know. I think on one hand, you have to intent matters. I think uh, like W.D. Griffith's Birth of a Nation was always racist. It was just that no one cared. And so I think that's a lot more problematic. I think what's really bad is something that was seen as harmless and is actually really harmful. Something like uh, Revenge of the Nerds or even um, not Pretty in Pink, um, 16 Candles, the whole panties subplot that's pretty creepy those are the things that kind of bother me i don't think you should ever censor old media i i think you should go in with a mind you know with an open mind and i think sometimes you can see they could have subtle criticisms within kind of these stereotypical characters that uh, my best example is dumbo a lot of people criticize that particularly for having a character but the crows 
are the only characters outside of Timothy J. Mouse who treat Dumbo with any kind of compassion or respect. They're the ones who are actually the heroes of the film. They come up with the magic feather. So the crows, even though they talk in pidgin English and they're clearly racist caricatures, they're actually the good guys. And I think there's something there. So I don't think you should just go in and go, oh, it's racist, so therefore it's totally bad. I think you kind of have to look at the content of the movie itself and say, okay, Walt Disney was really racist, but he was still able to see the humanity of people. And in this movie, he says, even though you view people as a lesser, they could still be greater because they can have insights that you don't have. So that's how I'd approach yeah, all media with an open mind. Yeah, I think there's always the opportunity to, to learn from the past, right? Look, and you could point to these as examples of, well, look at how we've grown and expanded our understanding of one another. And also, you've, you'll kind of be surprised about how, if you watch really old movies a lot of times, you'll be surprised kind of viewpoints that you thought they wouldn't have in the 1930s. They're actually more progressive than you possibly could imagine. And you just didn't really think about it. And it's if you go in with an open mind, you can see all sorts of viewpoints. So I think sometimes it's the self-serving, hey, we're so much better than people in 1938. And that's also a pretty bad viewpoint and pretty arrogant. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's 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 a, it, it tends like the big one. Like, like I was watching like Rush Hour the other day, and like there was like Chris Tucker made like a joke which was like really offensive, and like I mean it was funny, but it was like really offensive, and you realize, hey, you know, like that came out twenty years ago, you know, and it's like now nah, we would probably know maybe to not make that joke, but you know, was it like, is it the same as like you know stuff that was like blatantly just over the top, you know, racist or something? No, you know, it's like. It's a joke that 20 years ago, people, you know, were, you know, made more offensive jokes because, you know, that's it just we didn't we didn't account for like the full breadth of how stuff could be hurt people. And it's like so I, that's why I just, you know, I remember like, watching that and it's like, oh, yeah, that joke probably wouldn't be made because it's kind of like offensive or whatever. But it, it was, you know, one of those things where it was it was like actively like, oh, I don't think they like actively intended to, you know, like offend or hurt someone it was just you know what in 1999 that was a joke that was probably made more rush hour is 20 years old rush the first yeah, rush hour came out yeah we're old god i know sorry oh <sighs> 1998 21 time stops for no man <laughs> jake were you even alive then please tell me yes for you chris yes <laughs> 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 oh lord well, Rich Miller wants to know, what is the best hidden gem found so far on Disney Plus and the best thing that's missing? I haven't dove in a ton yet. Yeah, I, mean, I, I mean, I've, I've watched a little bit. Um, I saw that the Black Hole was on there. I'm very excited to rewatch that um, and have it ruin my childhood to realize <laughs> how bad uh, it was. How bad it really is. Yeah. Um, but I'm going to watch it. Um, I'm really excited about that. That's probably the thing that I was, I'm most excited to watch. I love the fact that they have a ton of old Mickey Mouse shorts from like the 30s and 40s. I was yeah. watching those, and I was watching with the kids, and they're really funny. We think of Mickey now as like the corporate Mickey. Like he's this clean-cut, yeah. kind of perfect character that stands for goodness and light. And Playhouse Mickey. He was, a, he was a lot more mischievous. He was a lot closer to Bugs Bunny mm-hmm. in, in the 40s. And I really enjoy those cartoons, kind of watching him be kind of devilish and get in trouble 
and, you know, not obey rules. So it was weird to see that Mickey. What do I wish was on there? I could be missing it, but Tailspin isn't on there. Yeah. Like a, a, almost all the old Disney afternoons on there, but no Tailspin and no Gummy Bears. Mm. Get I on that. So. I, uh, I just looked it up. I think it's on there. Oh, thank goodness. Because I was looking, uh, we were watching DuckTales. Yeah, and I was like, hey, we should watch some Tailspin. So, and then I know they're having problems with rights on their movies. Um, I haven't gone through the entire library. I mean, I know they're not going to put Song of the South on there, speaking of problematic media. Right. I know a lot of people want it on there. It's a bad movie. I've seen it. You're not missing much. I mean, I think Disney should just release it because once it's it's right now the forbidden fruit, so people want to see it. If people actually watch it, they'll be like, wow, that's a bad movie. We can move on with our lives. Yeah. But I don't, I don't think they have a – I haven't really dug in. Do they have a ton of the old 70s movies? So they have like The Rescuers. Yeah. Um, All that stuff's Robin on Hood. there. Yeah. Oh, that's good. All right. So the 70s represent. So – I went through. Uh, there was some video. I think. I think Disney put it out on YouTube about a month before launch. Of this is all the stuff that's coming, and it was like an hour and a half long video. So I only watched <laughs> it in, in like snippets of like you know five to ten minutes at a time, and it was like all those movies I remember watching. Okay, this is going to date me now too. Because listen up, youngsters. It used to be on Sunday evenings. You got Disney on ABC before Disney owned ABC. And you got to see Disney movies. And they were mostly the live-action ones. And so it's like all those those live-action movies that they made in the 50s, 60s, and 70s that they then showed on broadcast TV, they're all on there. So I was kind of oh, so like to Cat see that. Oh, so like Cat from Outer Space? Yes. Like, all oh. those things. Yes. Uh, all right, yeah. I, I haven't dug into any of those. But that sounds, I saw the Love Bugs on there. That's That'll be cool. Yeah, all the Herbie so. movies are on there. All right, so. All right. Okay, Crackles wants to know, you have 30 seconds to blow a job interview. What do you do? Oh, well, this is a good one. I mean, you could Louis C.K. it, but that would probably get you arrested. <laughs> uh, I, can't lie. I can't lie, that was kind of what it was. <laughs> uh, so short of actually getting myself arrested, really, just start yelling a lot. Just screaming at the top of your lungs. They'll throw you out. I think I would like claim I did something like terrible that I didn't actually do. Awesome Hitler. Yeah, just bring him Hitler. <laughs> Say what you will about the tenets of National Socialists. <laughs> it, was, it was at least an ethos. <laughs> they really rallied the nation after a war. Oh. Like, there was like one guy I like, worked with was telling me about how like, one guy got fired because like he was taking a nap in the store. Like Even in the break room, like he was just taking a nap. And, like, customers caught up. And it's just be like, yeah, I can just go with that. It's like, yeah, I took naps, like, on the floor just all the time. I will jump. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, it's pretty easy to get out of a job. But I, I would definitely would sh- short of doing anything that would get you arrested. <laughs> yeah. Which are the ones that would guarantee you wouldn't get the job. <laughs> right. Who also guarantee you won't get any other job. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay, Wolftron 5, or maybe it's Wolftron V wants to know, what shakeups in this recruiting class do you anticipate? Oh, this is where I get mad, uh, or at least disappointed. The, they're bringing a ton of top talent. They're getting a lot of national recruits. They're going to screw over local guys who have been recruited for a really long time, who have been committed for a very long time. Mm. They're going to encourage them to basically shuffle off of the class and 
they're gonna, they can't quite pull the offer because they did commit to it, but they're gonna strongly encourage that guys who have offers yeah. that aren't as highly touted lose their offer. And that's the way the game's played. That's how you have to do it in order to compete with the Alabamas of the world. But it doesn't make me like it. It's it's a shady way to do business. Yeah, I mean they've got they got twenty five commits right now, and I think they've on their board might have closer to twenty nine or thirty. And so that's gonna create a like there are gonna be guys who might get kind of squeezed out. That's kind of the, I mean that'll be like Cole Taylor was a tight end they took. They got Eric Gilbert, who I they didn't really probably you know maybe expect to get but it's you know look if you've got the 10th if you got the best tight end recruit maybe ever you know a three-star tight end's not going to be kind of on your radar i know they you know they're apparently confident about getting jordan birch who's i think the number two overall player in the entire country i think clemson's like being considered the favorite but apparently they're really confident about it I mean, in you know him as a defensive end, there might be a defensive tackle somewhere that they who's, I mean, or maybe not a defensive tackle, maybe like just someone else, kind of like Ali Gay, you know, who they recruited like JUCO, who's you know a really good JUCO player. I mean, if you're getting top ten kind of defensive line player like in the entire country, you're just probably not going to be keeping you know a JUCO kind of defensive lineman. So, I mean, it's going to get. Squeeze. Like, I mean, I I think they're gonna like every all signs are pointing towards them getting Zach Evans, who's the number one running back recruit in the country. They're gonna be adding some. If if all goes right for them, they're gonna be adding some really elite talent, and that's gonna mean some like some good players are gonna get squeezed. Like, I guess that's one thing. It's like if you yeah, look put, at it, if you look at it and see good players decommitting from LSU, it like I mean like four star kind of players. It's because they might be getting better players than that in. And that's something that normally LSU hasn't really done. This might end up being the best recruiting class LSU. As far as just like when they come out of high school, this might end up being the best recruiting class LSU ever gets. And Like right now, like just to put it in perspective, right now LSU has 25 recruits already committed. Yeah. Of those 25, three or five stars, I'm not sure if that's a record, but it's close to it for LSU, and 17 or four stars. So 20 of them are blue chips, which means there's only five guys in the class that are three-star recruits. And yeah, they, if you're a th- it, those, they got three of the top 20 players in the country right now. Yeah. So basically, the, the five guys who are three-star recruits, including one, as you mentioned, is a JUCO, Ali Gay from Garden City. Those guys might get squeezed out of this class, and I think that sucks. But yeah. I think that, that's what's going to happen. They've got they got three top twenty guys, and they've got six of the top fifty players. They could wind up with five top twenty guys or seven top fifty. I mean, that's a it's preposterous. I mean, it's it's like LSU has recruited at a at an elite level for a long time. There's no doubt about that. But if you were like Ever wondering, like, what was the difference between LSU and Alabama for all those years? It was that. Like, LSU is recruiting at that kind of level now, not merely at a great level. I mean, they, they've taken a leap in recruiting to a big degree. I mean, to look like it's it's possible next year that LSU could field 
five stars at every skill position. At, they could reel out three five-star receivers, a five-star tenant, and a five-star running back. I mean, it's, that's preposterous. It, it's ridiculous. They could legitimately do that. I mean, they've got the number one tight end, the number three wide receiver in this class. I mean, like, you thought LSU's receivers were not. They've got th- three of the top seven receivers. I mean, it's, that's doing what they're doing now is, obviously, I mean, this is a magical you know, season for LSU. This is one of the best teams in LSU history. But how do you do it year in, year out? That's how you do it. And they're doing it as far as recruiting goes. The talent level of this program is increasing every year. Vinny Bartles wants to know, is there a more interesting, complex, and consistently well-written comic character than Spider-Man? I, I think Spider-Man is the greatest comic book character ever. He's not just a superhero, but he's relatable. He's a regular dude because... Superman and Batman, who were the standards before then, are unattainable god figures in different ways. Mm. Batman is essentially the ubermensch, and Superman, of course, is an alien from a different planet and can do literally anything. Spider-Man is a guy who, you know, has trouble holding a job. He has <laughs> girl problems. He, you know, he he has to make rent, and uh, that's and also the whole mantra of with great power comes great responsibility is just such a good overarching thing. So Spider-Man has always been a great character and I've always loved him. That said, there have been some terrible writers in Spider-Man in the history of the book. Yeah, I was going to say the, the and, consistently part of his question and, I didn't quite agree with. And there's also just, I mean, like the born again uh, idea. I mean, having him do a deal with the devil to get out of uh, um, being married, just one of the worst comic book storylines of all time. He has been betrayed by company policies very often. I, I still think he's the best character and he's such a strong character, which is why he's so famous. He's the one Marvel character who really kind of stands out for the group. But if I have to say which one's been written the best and the most complex over the years, I think it's daredevil. I think mm. he's had a murderer's row of writers. Yeah. And has been consistently interesting. And what has made Daredevil great has been benign de- neglect. Yeah. And that's what makes a great comic book. Not being the bestseller, you sell, so you're not going to get canceled. But you don't sell so much that you're in crossovers and you have to carry the brand. Right. Daredevil has just been allowed to exist and do what writers get them and are allowed to do whatever they want with them. And that's pretty great. And also the writers who have written on them, you know, Brubaker – Wade, Kevin Smith wrote for him for a while. Bendis, yeah, um, it, it's Miller, of course. I mean, it just it's a murderer's row. So, Spider Man's a better character. Daredevil's had better writers. All right, yeah, I mean, love Spider Man, obviously. Um, as far as com- like complex, I'd probably say Magneto. Okay, like, like Magneto to me is like. There's this thing, you know, like on Twitter sort of where it's like, and I get, I mean, I don't know if it's like part of like just how it's, I don't know if it's like this generation or just kind of like this era, but like of like trying to make like the villain more, oh, the villain was actually right. Or like, <laughs> hey, he had a point. And it's like, if you look through the big history of the comic movies or whatever, almost all the villains were actually wrong. Like, like, sorry, Thanos is actually wrong. Yeah. It's not right. Magneto is the one who's actually, I mean, the t-shirt says Magneto was right. Yeah, that was actually, a con- they made it a storyline. Yeah, and it's, he is. And is, or he's the one where you actually look at it, and it's, 
based on his background and his and the thing I, I think is great about like I mean his background is that it's it's very transposable sort of like I know like they talked about the idea of when Marvel and like Disney do the X Men again of doing potentially a a black or minority Magneto and it's you can very easily turn Magneto's thing into like apartheid South Africa yeah uh, I, like exactly. I mean, it's, it's like it's not I mean the Holocaust one obviously was the it's the most obvious one to do when it fits the character really well, but it, you can tie it into other things as well. And so I was thinking Rwandan genocide works. That's the other one you could do. Better. Yeah. That's another great Rwandan genocide yeah. works as well. Right. That's Cause another, it, that like, plays better with the, the uh, relationship with the, of the original character with the Holocaust. I thought, sorry, Jake. the difference is, is just cause comparing a uh, genocides that it wasn't as systematic Rwanda is kind of a brief spurt of violence that was... No, it wasn't. That well, was yeah, just, that yeah, was just well, the culmination was, yeah. of it. It was decades yeah, long. That's what, yeah, that's what I mean. but yeah, yeah, but it wasn't yeah. like they rounded them up in the camps and kept records. Right. You know, apartheid is similar to the Holocaust in that sense, that, mm. you know, it was very... That a system of laws, it went on for years and years and years. So, yeah, it's hard to... Yeah, I mean, he's the one villain where it's... What is he... He wants mutants to have be free essentially and it's there's nothing villainous about that whatsoever has he done villainous things absolutely like again it's like are his means at times villainous no doubt about it that's why professor x is the great other side of the coin to him but is if like if you're looking at you know like i think that's what like he's the one you know i mean not that there haven't been other complex you know villains but as far as kind of the more famous ones that people know He's the one that is there is an actual real kind of like, kind of story there that makes you question whether he's actually wrong, like what you know whether yeah. he's really wrong. And I mean, a lot of the times he's not. No, and hey, that, that goes back to in the late '80s. They did the X Men versus Avengers series, and it was the trial of Magneto, and it gets into a lot of these themes. They've been on this kick for thirty years, basically, of trying to examine Magneto as more than just a villain. Hell, he he was the headmaster. He was in charge of the New Mutants for a while. Yeah, see, we we can deep dive on comic books here. <laughs> okay, finally, Jacob Hibbard, top five actors in Star Wars, and he means their Star Wars performances, and he gives his top five, going from one to five: Harrison Ford, Ewan McGregor, Frank Oz, Ian McDermott, and Alec Guinness. Pretty good list. Ian McDermott, God, I mean, I know he's iconic, but man, I just did not buy his portrayal in the prequels. Yeah. Darn you, prequels. <laughs> um, that's, you that's, and, that's the worst part of the prequels. It's so yeah, many I mean, actors who just... Yeah, like, that's what's great about uh, Ewan McGregor, is he's the only guy who really comes out of the prequels with his dignity intact. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, I I mean, this is I mean, those are three movies that wasted Samuel L. Jackson. I mean, I don't even know how you do that. Yeah. Uh, so I think that actually makes Ewan McGregor's performance truly amazing that he was able to deliver that performance when, you know, nothing was going right around him. He carries that, those prequels. So he would definitely be in my top five. I mean, you kind of have to go with the original, you know, you know, that original Troika. I mean, you have Mark Hamill, Harrison Ford, Carrie Fisher. I mean, that's what it's all about, right? Yeah. Like those three? I mean, I hate to... Hamill and, Hamill and Fisher, for sure. Not, 
it, not that Ford does a bad job as Han Solo. He does a great job. It's, I, I guess I'm kind of viewing it more as like sort of their character. And to me, it's like, like Harrison Ford is, or Han Solo is awesome. And like everyone wants, you know, like grow up and be Han Solo. And it's, but it's like, for the most part, Han Solo is just like funny. I don't know if there's, I mean, it's it, like, like Han Solo in um, Force Awakens is to some degree sort of still Han Solo. Like, I mean, kind of from the original three. And that's, there are some characters like have to be that, but it's, I don't know if it's, I mean, like Mark Hamill, I think in like Last Jedi compared to like where he is in the original three is like, I mean, that's a real kind of. Yeah, there's like that, a real arc. A real, he is, yeah, he is the biggest real, arc in the entire. That, that's we, a real arc and he plays it so well. Yeah, um, and Carrie and Carrie Fisher does too. To in you know a lot of ways compared to what she is, and you know, um, as, in a, a Force Awakens and Last Jedi, and then um, we'll see what like what happens with Rise of Skywalker, obviously since she passed. But um, see, so yeah, like I think those two, like it's that's the like, Han Solo is. It's not that he doesn't do a good job, but it's it's a different kind of role to like sort of play. I think. It's you kind know, of an easier role. It's easier yeah, yeah. to be the it's, cynical it's, jerk. He's, he's, he's funny, like, and you need that, but it's also, like, it's not the Like, there, again, I don't know if there's a real arc. Ultimately, while there are some moments, more moments of, like, I don't, I don't want to say like seriousness, but, like, well, there's always some different because of, you know, his relationship with Kylo Ren. It's it's still, for most of it, he's still, it's still like Han and Chewie being Han and Chewie. And I would say of the new movies, I, I think uh, Adam Driver has been the guy. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's it's almost like the antagonist is the protagonist of those films. Like mm-hmm. Adam Driver is the most interesting character of the current trilogy, and I also think John Boydea, He's the one who's had the biggest arc. You know, he's kind of been the he's the everyman character that right. we kind of see it through his. I think he's done a lot of the kind of some thankless work of heavy lifting of exposition and things like that and made it believable. And I think you know, his, you know, his rebel scum moment in uh, <laughs> um, last Jedi is such a, such a good line. You know, it's the culmination of everything he's done. So, so if I had to go five, you know, you want to include you and McGregor from the original, tri- uh, from the prequels, I'll say Bodea and uh, Adam driver from the recent ones. And yeah, got to cut one from, that original Troika. So yeah, I'm with Jake. I'll cut Harrison Ford and I'll keep Carrie Fisher and Mark Hamill. Yeah. Uh, I think that's, I'm trying to think of any other ones that I can mention. No, Frank Oz was a great cause. It was yeah, a great well, yeah, that's, that, Frank yeah, that's, Oz would probably that's, be in my top three, just because you got to remember when Empire and Jedi were filmed, that's an actual puppet. There is no CGI oh, yeah, yeah, involved I mean, at all. That guy was mm-hmm. working his butt off. And to pull off the performance that he did with with a physical puppet, it was just grand. And also, let's give some give some love to Peter Mayhew. Who I mean, people love Chewbacca. Oh yeah, and he oh, yeah. essentially has no lines. What did you see? I think I retweeted it. Someone posted a video on Twitter within the last couple of weeks of scenes from the original Star Wars and Empire where he's speaking the dialogue to Harrison Ford you know in in English so it's a, it actually is a real conversation that they're ha- that they're having he wasn't just growling and Harrison Ford was repeating lines he had actual spoken lines so that it comes across as a real conversation so and then I, they cut it on him well ah. yeah, then they you know 
made him a bear. So yeah, but a very physical performance. I, I really like that physical performance he had. So at least a shout out to that. That's honorable he, mention. He, for yeah, sure. an honorable mention for what he did there. All right, that's it for the questions. All right, that's what we got. Now we are on to Arkansas. We still have one more game to play, and everybody just wait. Revenge is coming against Texas A&M, so the bloodletting will come. You just <laughs> got to get through Arkansas first. Yeah.